live from the NBC News Radio Broadcasting Studios of KCAA, 10.50 a.m., 102.5 FM, and 106.5 FM, located in beautiful, sunny California. Thanks for tuning into the Water Zone this afternoon. Good afternoon. I'm your host, Rob Starr, along with Mr. Chris Davies, who is calling in from Sustainable Claremont. And uh, But today is Act Show, so I know he knows that, but he wanted to be part of the show. So, Chris, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Rob Starr. Thanks very much. I'm sorry I couldn't be there. You know, we have fly-in guests from the old country, so uh, I'm spending a little time with them. Are their arms tired? <laughs> oh, very good. <laughs> okay, well, it depends where they came from. You know, it's a long, flapping kind of thing. Well, to, you know, uh, we do appreciate you on tonight, and you know it is ag night because we talked about that this morning. And yeah, you could absolutely. and you could have knocked on the door and came to my office. I know you left me a note, but you could have you could have knocked, came in. I didn't hear what you told our studio engineer, but I'm going to beat it out of him afterwards because he said he couldn't tell me. So <laughs> I'm going to find out what, what the reason was. But anyway, today's ag night, and we have our wonderful host, Miss Ingi Bisconer, and we have two wonderful guests. I was going to say who they are, but I'm going to let Ingi do that because she's special. Oh, thank you, Rob. And I appreciate that you and Chris always join me on Ag Night because, you know, um, agriculture is not just for the agricultural people. It's also for all of us, you know, urbanized well. Because we we grow food so that we can all eat three times a day, right? That's right, and I need to eat. Yes. I need to, I need to keep my shape round. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. We and as as we all know, your wife said that you, you are in shape. <laughs> you're right? Still, you're, you're round. Yeah. <laughs> I love that joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're, you're uh, still anyway, good for that's okay. That's okay. That's right. We do have a wonderful show tonight. It is as tradition holds, it's the preview to the California Irrigation Institute conference. In, uh, that's in February this year, so yep. we have a couple of guests that will be discussing that. And that actually is a conference that covers all facets of California water, not just agriculture, but agriculture, urban, um, environment. So our guests will uh, uh, cover that. And then at the end of the show, we're going to run an interview of um, the recipient of the Irrigation Association's 2018 Industry Achievement Award, Mr. Jim Clouser of Clearwater Supply. Absolutely. Uh, so we and, should um, and warn the, everybody to, to stay on stay on after the commercial break because it's a great interview with a great guy. Absolutely. And I know one of the guests, because he's been on our show before, but I've dealt with him over sure. six, 16 years. So he's a good guy. Yeah. So let me introduce um, our guest. Um, uh, we're going to be talking about the California Irrigation Institute Conference in Sacramento and... Um, we have with us uh, the 2018-2019 season president of the CII uh, board, and that is Bill McDonald with uh, Metropolitan Water. Uh, how are you doing, Bill? Very good. Hi, Rob. How are you doing? I'm doing good, Bill. Haven't seen you in a long time. <laughs> I know. I'm still around. I'm still I, here. I know. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. uh, thank you for having me on. Very much appreciated it. Oh. And thank you for. I heard you staying. You were at your office because you didn't want to be yes, on, on the cell phone on the train. <laughs> I know I'm toiling away here at my office. Okay. Either that or I'd be on the uh, the train ride home. Okay, be good. <laughs> you get home at a decent <laughs> hour. Uh, I'll be home and then I'll go to bed. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we're working you hard tonight. We appreciate you staying on. And along with Bill is uh, the California Irrigation Institute's Executive Director Catherine Chandler. Uh, welcome, Catherine. Thank you. Thank you very much. And, you know, Catherine has been on the show before past years, along with the current presidents, to discuss the conference. So she's an old, she's an old uh, hat at this, so uh, no worries. So 
for our listening audience, let me introduce uh, both Bill and Catherine's background, and then we'll dive into um, previewing the conference. So, Bill, Bill, you are the manager of water efficiency for the Metropolitan Water District of Southern California, otherwise known as MET. Um, it's a really, really big organization. <laughs> Bill, <laughs> Bill has a, a, a BA from the University of Massachusetts and an MBA from University of Laverne. His team manages conservation programs for commercial, industrial, and residential customers covering MWD's service area of 19 million people. Rob, is that more people than listen to the radio show? Rob? I don't know how many people listen to the radio show, but it's mostly <laughs> all of Southern California. So I don't know. I think more, Bill, I think you service more people than the radio show. So that, that's Maybe. And, this, and I should have said, too, we do, we do have some ag in our area, too. So there is ag yeah. in there that we service also. Yeah, so people and farms and I'm sure some environmental entities, too. So, yep. um, Bill, you've got more than 30 years' experience in water and energy efficiency. In addition, you're the president of the board of directors of the California Irrigation Institute. Sorry, I already said that. But in addition, you are you are also the chair of the City of Chino Hills Public Works Commission. You're also on the board of directors of the Alliance for Water Efficiency and the California Water Efficiency Partnership. Yep. So we look forward to um, hearing all of that um, uh, power come to play in helping <laughs> us uh, solve our water problems here in California. Thank you. And then uh, Catherine has been the executive director for the California Irrigation Institute for the past five years. And Catherine previously worked for the California Farm Water Coalition up in the Sacramento area and Reclamation District 108. She and her lovely husband, Tom, who we know uh, very well because he was also on the California Irrigation Institute Board of Directors, um, they farm almonds in the San Joaquin Valley along with citrus, tree fruit, and vines along with the husband's family. So welcome again, Catherine, to the show. Thank you. All right. Well, Bill, we'll uh, fire off some questions to you first. Sure. Uh, tell, us, tell us first just a little bit about yourself and how you became involved in California water, being apparently a Massachusetts guy, um, <laughs> irrigation and... From uh, Boston. And that. <laughs> or, yeah, I know. I know I can tell from all those... The teams that you root for. Where are you from? <laughs> I know. I'm. Uh, I just got back from there last week, also. So, but um, yeah, it, I I started my career um in in Massachusetts, and I was doing energy efficiency. Energy is a big deal there, and then eventually uh, moved out to California in the '80s and worked for utilities that do energy and water, like the city of Pasadena and the city of Anaheim, as they do water and energy, and that's where I got my feet wet doing both water and energy efficiency programs, then eventually in the 90s moved on to Metropolitan and just did water. So I've been doing either water or energy since basically the early 80s, and um, that's kind of how I got into water, and I really enjoy it. It's very complex, it's uh, very interesting, and it's very, very challenging. Yeah, it is a challenging uh, area because it's so necessary. You know, I mean, there is no life without water, and uh, we we basically live in a desert here in Southern California, right? <laughs> yeah, when if I had um, in in Massachusetts when I was home for the last week, it it rained almost every day, so yeah. we don't have we don't have that issue here. We don't have that luxury. Yeah. So tell us a little about uh, a little bit about the California Irrigation Institute, and how you became involved with it. Um, you know, who, who goes to this meeting and uh, who's on the board and uh, things like that? 
Well, what's really interesting is the California Irrigation Institute's been around um, almost as long as I have. They've been around 57 years and uh, putting on this um, annual urban and ag conference. And the way I got involved was um, Metropolitan's been involved with California Irrigation Institute for a long time. And um, we eventually had somebody here that was involved retire many, many years ago. And since my work does ag and urban, um, it just seemed like a natural fit because the II is ag and urban that I um, get involved in the organization. And it's been very rewarding ever since working with um, all the folks on the board, um, you know, like yourselves and, and uh, Catherine that are involved in ag or or, like I say, are on the urban side. And that's kind of how I got involved and, and been involved for these last um, numerous years. Yeah, so the board consists of, um, yeah, academia and um, associations and some consultants and some water districts and, you know, a little bit of everything, huh? Yeah, that's what's really interesting is, um, you know, getting to work with, um, you know, folks from... Uh, the California Farm Bureau, Cal Poly Irrigation Training Center, UC Davis, you know, uh, yourselves um, at Toro, uh, the, uh, you know, Coachella DWR. Valley, DWR. Yeah. And so all of these folks bring um, just a, a, a wide range and, and a very big depth of knowledge um, to the board. And so it really, it, it really makes, I think, for... Uh, one of the better boards I've ever been on because it is so it is so unique and different. Yeah, I found it, I have found it very rewarding as well. So, um, yeah, kudos to you on that. So, um, Bill, this year's theme is manage our land to manage our water. Uh, tell us a little bit about how that evolved and maybe give a brief o- overview of the general session and some of the key ag, urban, and joint panel discussions. Sure. Well, what we try to do every year is um, really try to come up with a, a unique urban and ag uh, theme for the conference, something that touches on both. And um, when you think about it, especially here, um, you know, I'm in obviously Southern California, uh, we're really focused on, on landscape, as you know, being you know, with Toro, we're barely focused on landscape out here. We still do a lot of commercial, still do a lot of industrial, still do a lot of residential and do indoor um, water efficiency. But landscaping and residential and commercial for urban water users is really going to be our focus now and in the future. And so that tie between water and land and urban is getting stronger. And that tie has always been there with ag between water and land, that it's it's vital. You know, the land is used to grow, and obviously water to uh, you need that. So both entities, ag and urban, have that have that connection of linking the two the two together of water and land, and that's kind of how we came up with that with our session. Is because how do you manage both of those, and how do you manage them um, in this you know, very complex state of California. And so uh, that's what the uh, conference will will talk about. Yeah, because we're basically using our land to replenish our groundwater, too, and then our mountainous lands hold our water as snowpack, which is our water supply. 
and then our lands also provide ecosystem services. Uh, so, as I recall our discussion, uh, it seems like all those things kind of played into, yeah, just as you said, they're, they're, they're connected, and we need to understand one in order to manage the other. Exactly. Both, both land is tied into the demand, like I was talking about with, you know, with, and then it's also tied into exactly what you explained, the supply. So, the supply. Land, all right, so the land and water mix is, uh, is tied into both ends of the water spectrum, the supply and the demand, and it's just all linked together, and um, it's just a, a fascinating topic. Yeah. Well, tell us about the, uh, the keynote and, um, and the luncheon speaker, uh, Glenda Humiston, the, the keynote, and Brad Udall, the uh, luncheon speaker. Well, we've been really lucky this year, um, and we have been in new in the other years too, is to have two great speakers. Um, our first is our keynote, and um, Glenda, and she is the vice president of agriculture and, and natural resources at uh, at UC Agriculture and Natural Resources, and she's going to be, you know, talking about um, the big picture, the big picture of both of them together. Um, as far as the close connection between water and land. And it, it, somebody like that will be able to give us a good vision to kick off the, um, the conference with. And that's kind of what we're looking for in our keynote speaker. And so Glenda will be able, uh, will be able to do that. And then in our luncheon speaker, it's a, uh, Brad Udall. And Brad is from Colorado, Colorado State, where my son goes. And... Um, and so he's a senior water and climate research scientist there. And um, Brad kind of, I've heard him speak before, and he's a fascinating um, speaker, really uh, uh, really engaging. And he will bring all the different climate policy, water and land, kind of pulling all that together, along with all the different challenges that we face with all our different water supplies. And so... Um, He's going to be a, a, a fascinating luncheon speaker. So we have really two um, very, very good speakers that uh, I hope people can, can make to hear. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I, I have not heard Brad, but I have heard Glenda several times, and uh, uh, she's just dynamite. So, um, well, cool. Well, what about the opening panel? Who's on that? So on our opening panel, um, we'll have Santa Clara Valley and um, Santa Clara Valley Open Space uh, Authority. We'll have the general manager there, Andrea uh, McKenzie. We also have solutions from the land, which with um, A.G. Uh, Kawamura, who's the co-chair of that, and then the National Audubon Society, uh, Megan Herzl, the director of land and water conservation. So we're trying to bring, as you can see, land and cities and open space and kind of uh, a whole group of people um, together on that opening panel. So just a, uh, as everywhere else in the conference, a very good diverse uh, diverse panel there. Yeah, that should really really set up nicely for um, then the separate sessions that will occur over the next day and a half, which, um, you know, uh, traditionally there are ag-oriented sessions and then urban-oriented sessions. So tell us a little bit about um, the first ag session, which is titled "Updates on Available Technology in Ag." Yeah, so exactly what we the way the conference is set up is we do have separate separate tracks for ag and separate tracks for urban. But then what's interesting too is we have combined tracks for ag and urban, bringing bringing both of them together on some common themes. 
And so the first session is um, on new technology, and it's new technology in ag in one session and new technology in urban in the other section. And so both of them, um, both of those sections will be going over different types of technology that affect both of their sectors. In ag, we'll have um, uh, folks there from, you know, UC Davis and uh, Lawrence Berkeley, uh, San Mateo Resource Conservation District. So we'll have um, looking at uh, the role of technology in renewable electricity, irrigation technologies, just a wide range. And then also on the um, urban side, um, we're actually touching, the first time I've been to a conference that's going to touch on uh, cannabis because that's going to yeah. be an issue in some of the urban sectors. How is that going to affect some of, their, some of the urban sectors? And then also... Um, Simist and how Simist is working with, um, you know, the urban sectors. And over on the urban side, we're going to have Warren Gorowitz from Ewing Irrigation, um, and uh, who's a vice president there of sustainability. We have um, Dr. Holly Hall from uh, the Watershed Resources, uh, East Bay Municipal Utility District, bringing in some more, um, uh, you know, urban side. So it's just a good mix of folks there. Yeah, it really is, and I, I am intrigued with this whole cannabis thing uh, and how it's affecting water supply. And then for our listening audience that may have, may not know what CIMIS is, it's the California Irrigation Management Information System. And it's an important uh, entity here in California for both ag and urban uh, water use. So we usually have something on CIMIS, don't we? Yeah, it seems like... Um uh, and, and in fact, even in our next sessions, um, we'll have some more information because one of the things that Simis does is give you lots of data, and that's kind of what's going. In the next sessions talk about data because both ag and urban, um, as technology changes, one of the results of new technology, just like in our personal life, is lots of data and lots yep. of information. So. How do you deal with it at home, you know, on your, or at work? It's the same thing in in this. And so we're, that's why the second session is very interesting, is how both ag and urban are going to deal with all of this data and all of this information. And more of it's coming, whether it's satellite, whether it's, um, you know, in-ground. And how do we, what are we going to do with all that data? And how do we parse it out? So the second sessions, uh, both Ag and Ehrman deal with that issue. Yeah, I, I'm excited about that, too, because I, it's almost a problem. I mean, yeah, we love technology and, you know, this big data and getting all this data is great, but at the end of the day, we need to make decisions. And, you know, you either take the human out of it and let data run everything or you help convert that data into something that is um, like a recommendation for the or the human behavior part. And so I, I think we'll hear a lot about that in the second session on how we might translate that. And that, that is, um, that's what we need. So um, let's move on to the session three, which is uh, the combined sessions where we put everybody in the big room. And yeah, and these what are... What are we going to hear about there? So these are some of my favorites because... Um, I love the interaction between the two groups in one large room. And um, so basically, um, when we have our combined session or joint sessions, that we, as we call them, um, one of the sessions we're going to be going over some recent legislation, AB 1668 and SB 606. And basically, this is 
new statewide legislation that affects both ag and urban, um, real basically mandating conservation and mandating reporting and going back to what we talked about and mandating collecting of data and reporting data to the state. And so um, we're going to have some people there talking about uh, what the impacts are of this legislation on the ag side and on the urban side. So that should be um, that should be very interesting. Very good. And then finally, um, there's a session with a bunch of acronyms in it. Tell us about that one. <laughs> yeah, the last yeah the last session is um, kind of what you talked about at the beginning of the interview is um, groundwater, and it's uh, talking about uh, sustainable groundwater management act, and um, because if the state is getting water from either underground or we're importing it, and there's a lot of rules and regulations now on importing water and a lot of rules and regulations on groundwater. And so um, some folks have a lot of groundwater and some folks have none and some folks' groundwater is contaminated and some folks is deep and some is shallow. And so um, it's going to be interesting because this session is going to talk about um, the new rules and exactly what we talked about before, data and reporting and uh, and groundwater management. And so... Um, it's a it's a huge source of water here in the state of California, and the state wants folks to report on it and keep records of it and um, and maintain it. And so we're going to see we're going to have some really good and interesting topics on that. Yeah, and you know, from my view, rightly so. I mean, I think California is the last state in the nation. Maybe there's one other. I think maybe Texas, where groundwater was really not regulated by by the government. And right now, now, now it is with this new law from what two or three years ago. Right, because otherwise we were really sucking it dry during the drought. It's really our our savings account of water, and if we don't regulate it when the snowpack is low, and we don't regulate it, it could be gone, and that could be really bad <laughs> if we don't have any snowpack and we don't have any groundwater. So. Um, we don't want a tragedy of the commons, right? <laughs> right, because if we, if without regulation, people were pulling out three or four gallons and putting in one, well, it doesn't take long before that it's has gone. some <laughs> that has some consequences. And so, um, th- this session is really interesting because it affects both ag and urban, because sure. um, both of them rely on it to different degrees. Yeah, absolutely. Well, great, Bill. Thank you for that overview of you know the conference content. I'd la- now like to move over to Catherine and let her tell us a little bit about herself and how she became involved in water and farming and almonds and all that stuff, Catherine. <laughs> um, yeah, well, thank you. Um, I think, like a lot of people, life is a journey, so <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure. I, I knew I was going to be here from the beginning, but um, it started actually back when I was in high school. My family was living in a a small town in eastern Washington, and like many small towns, farming and agriculture was was the business um, of the community. Anyway, so I just kind of got involved just because that's what was around me. But then uh, my dad happened to be working for the Army Corps of Engineers for his career, and mm. he kind of started nudging me to look at water as I was graduating college. I think um, he brought in my perspective because water is such a valuable input, not just for farming, but every person depends on water in so many different ways and so many industries. And so it was a good nudge from Dad there. 
first job out of college was working uh, with Mike Wade at the Farm Water Coalition. Uh-huh. So that was just a great overview to the state of California and how water moves throughout the state. So yeah. I think yeah, I did my I'm career sure. backwards, though. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure you got a great education from Mike. I did. I did. So I did policy, and then I worked for an irrigation district, and now I'm at the farm. I think most people do it the other way, going from farming to policy. But anyways, it's been it's been enjoyable. Yeah, well, it's a, I think it's a great background um, uh, to bring you to the farm and, and to be an enlightened farmer. I mean, it's nothing better. So, uh, well, congratulations on, on that uh, progress. Well, Catherine, in addition to all the speakers we just heard about, what else? Uh, are people looking to gain from this conference? Definitely. We are a professional event. You know, our purpose is really to be a technical educational forum. So with that said, we do offer continuing education units through the Certified Crop Advisor Program as well as the Irrigation Association. They have several programs for irrigation managers and and water use efficiency um, coordinators. And so... We partner with those organizations to help folks continue um, in their education with that. We also are just a great opportunity for folks to interact, as both you and Bill were mentioning. This event does attract individuals from all over the state, from very different backgrounds, whether it's metropolitan water districts and these very urban settings um, of the cities, and folks like myself who are on the farm. <laughs> Uh-huh. And so we um, we do have a reception Monday night where folks can interact with the exhibitors, but they can also just interact with one another. And it's a great opportunity to just to get connected and uh, to talk with folks. Something else that we started for the first time last year that seemed to be really popular is we do have quite a few students that attend our event. Yeah. And so they bring posters related to their school research, and they showcase them during the reception. Um, they're, they're up during the entire event, but at the reception, the students are there with their poster, and, you know, our attendees do a really great job of engaging the students and inquiring more about them. Um, so it's a great opportunity for um, college students as well. Yeah, there's there are a lot of students now, and I think it's, just wonderful to see all their young faces uh, excited about the future, and uh, I happily look at them and, and think that, yeah, there, there is hope to solve some of the problems <laughs> that, that we've yeah. all created. <laughs> what about awards? Are there some awards? So our big award that our organization um, has handed out every year is the Irrigation Person of the Year, and like many awards, we um, since we are such a large board of directors and we are a very diverse group of directors, you know, we all kind of pull our heads together um, to try and think of someone who has really contributed to the industry as a whole. We announced at the at the conference um, a person that we want to honor for their contributions to the water industry, and so we have that big the big reveal during our luncheon. Yeah. And uh, exhibitors, do um, conference attendees have a chance to actually interface with some of this technology and and, uh, education resources? We do have a wide array of exhibitors. Definitely our university system is present in that. You know, we have Cal Poly in there, um, Irrigation Training and Research Center present. 
and then Fresno State um, comes, and they have a booth. We have the Department of Water Resources. Uh, U.S. Bureau of Reclamation is one of our, our exhibitors. Um, definitely Toro's there, so we have representation for some of our manufacturing. Precision agriculture is represented there, as well as a lot of new technologies coming on the urban side. Um, we have a lot of, I know, smart controllers, and just like I said, you know, it's a very diverse group. So um, it's, we have a reception for folks to engage with the exhibitors and make time to kind of see what, what is there as well as an opportunity to um, engage with some of these other folks who are, are resources for our attendees. And um, we also scheduled deliberate time in our conference program, especially on the last day, so that, you know, Everybody gets busy at a conference, but we, yeah, we have yeah. time to um, sit and interact and talk with folks, especially. Yeah, it's speakers. it's really a scheduled part of the conference, not just the speakers, but the exhibition, which is really nice. Yeah, so, I think it works out well. So, what does it cost to to attend CII, and and who sponsors the conference? Yeah, our big sponsors is um, CoBank. They are a farm credit. Um, part of the farm credit system, and Yosemite Farm Credit, as well as Metropolitan Water District. So um, we're very grateful Ooh. for them. Thank and you, Bill. As, <laughs> it keeps our registration rate very affordable. So um, it's only $225 for two days. We promise we'll feed you lunch, even have muffins and coffee for breakfast. <laughs> And then we have, um, as I mentioned, we have the first night, we have an exhibitor reception. So we have some complimentary wine and hors d'oeuvres. So you can stay a little bit later and um, talk with folks. And so um, if you would like to join our, our exhibitors, it's only $375. And you still get the same benefits of registration. So you still are welcome to join our luncheons, participate in the reception, of course, and attend the, the sessions as well. Yeah, it's um, it, it it has been very well attended over the last 57 years old now, right? And and I think it's, it's kind of a new dynamic in the last couple of years that I've felt. Um, and maybe it's because of all the students. I don't know. But... It just feels like there's optimism and there's a buzz. And we have energy. There's definitely an energy, I think. That's pretty exciting. So with just the, the couple of minutes that we have left, about three minutes here, um, tell us both, Bill and Catherine, what, what do you hope the outcome might be um, from this year's particular conference with, with our kind of a unique theme and some heavy hitters uh, as keynote and luncheon speaker? Uh, Catherine, I'll start with you. Well, yeah, I mean, definitely our mission is to be um, a technical educational forum and a resource for individuals in irrigation and water. So definitely, I think as the executive director, I really hope people can take home, some, learn something new that they can take home and directly apply, as well as just an opportunity to meet other people from other parts of our state and even other parts of just our little water industry. It is a large industry in its own way. So. And if, if people can't attend, can they kind of get the gist of the conference another way? Definitely. So um, all of our past events, um, our, our speakers are very generous to give us their PowerPoint presentations. And so after the event, we 
within the week, we post all of the slides and um, PowerPoint presentations on our yeah, website. And, and actually, uh, many of the students present posters, and those posters are then available to view online as well. Is that correct, as a, as a PDF? Yeah, if, um, we try. So like I said, this is a new program for us, so I won't yeah. comment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. We, but we try, and um, they've been very well received, and um, attendees really have enjoyed the posters. So. Yes, yes, I, I would agree with that. Well, thank you, Catherine. And Bill, um, anything that you'd like to add with the last minute that we have here, either the outcome or anything else? No, basically, um, kind of what Catherine said, you know, the, I think if people attend, I think they'll find a, you know, it doesn't matter where they're coming from in the state or even out of state or if they're in an ag or an urban environment, I think they'll, uh, it's, it's a, it's a small enough conference to where you, there's a lot of interaction and you can talk to, you know, experts in the field, you can attend the sessions and learn a lot. So I think the takeaway is folks should be attending or, um, telling folks to attend because it it's really a cost-effective way to uh, to learn a lot. Well, thank you both for joining us tonight, and I certainly look forward to seeing both of you at the conference um, February 4th through the 6th at the the hotel venue. Catherine is... Oh, it's Catherine. Not... <laughs> I think it is the Hilton Arden West again. It's, not... it's the yeah, Hilton Arden. It is. It's the Hilton yeah, Arden West, I, and I it's February, February 4th and 5th at the Hilton yeah. Arden. Uh, just check out our website, yeah. California yeah. Irrigation Institute. Yeah, California Irrigation Institute. Uh, the website is actually www.caii.org. Thank you both, and back over to you, Rob. Hey, that, that was great. Thank you guys uh, for being on, both Catherine and Bill. It, uh, surely interesting to a lot of listeners who don't know that these things are happening, and, and if they are in the industry, they know it's going to happen, and now we gave more information what's going to happen, so that's a good deal. So we're going to take a little break here, and then we'll be back with our uh, interview of uh, Mr. Clauser at the IA show that we did, and uh, so stick around, we'll be back in just one minute. Hi, welcome back to the second half of the Water Zone show. Hope everybody had a good time listening in on the first so we're going to, uh, one thing you can say about our show, our conversation is not dry. We try to give our thirsty listeners lots of information. I should keep my day job and not be a comedian. Anyway, uh, we're going to get into a conversation that Inge and I had with uh, an award winner at the IA show. So here we go. Hey, welcome to the Water Zone. This is Inge Bisconner and Rob Starr with a guest, a very special guest here at the 2018 Irrigation Association show. I'm Isn't excited. It? I am too. And, and I am as well. Because I'm looking at Jim Clauser. Hi, Jim. How are you? Well, I'm doing quite well. <laughs> he is doing quite well. He got a huge award this morning at the Irrigation Association's annual award ceremony. He got the Industry Achievement Award. Which I see is, my hands are red from clapping. Yeah. Oh, yes, World yes. Is Worn out. Um, well, I may mention that, Inge, you were the past uh, honoree in that regard two years ago. Well, I was, and it is a huge honor, and I was so um, pleased that our efforts to um, uh, successfully have you receive this award um, transpired today, and thanks for joining us on the show and telling us a little bit about um, well, what you shared in your on-stage interview today. Yeah, so, to be here. just for our listening audience, so the Industry Achievement Award is the highest honor that the IA gives anybody. Uh, Jim just received it from um, Deb. Um, 
Hamlin and uh, the current IA president, Warren Gorowitz. And it's a really cool blue dot crystal um, little mm. statue. Award, yes. Yeah, so mm -hmm. you'll have it. Um, I didn't get a blue dot. I just had the uh, clear one. You know, <laughs> you know, Jim has a machine shop, and I can just see it on top of his toolbox. You know, I can, I can, I, 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 I can just. So, Jim, tell us a little bit about your background, how you ended up in this field of drip irrigation up in the Treasure Valley of Oregon. Okay, um, I'd originally uh, been a research representative for a number of pesticide manufacturers, and had felt that I was always the bad guy. Uh, the farmers in the area never appreciated having to pay for pesticides to protect their crops. Uh, yield potential. Moving to the irrigation arena and more specifically the drip irrigation uh, arena where it's cutting edge technology, uh, I became the good guy. Uh, growers are very, very happy and interested and willing to work with those that provide water, that provides the life-giving uh, juice, if you may, for their crops. And that really attracted me to where I now was the good guy. Yeah, that's great. So you're growing stuff rather than killing stuff, is that? <laughs> yes, yes. <I laughs> kind of to sum so. it up. Well, I know that um, you and others, such as Dr. Clinton Schock from Oregon State University, worked on an issue that was happening with your growers in the Treasure Valley, probably starting about 10 years ago. They were on the cusp of getting regulated because of nitrate issues in the groundwater. And you guys rode your big white horses, otherwise known as uh, Ford pickups, uh, to the rescue and um, helped them uh, overcome this problem. Tell us about that. Well, I might mention uh, those pickups were had round wheels with uh, Aquatrax uh, <laughs> rolls on them. There you go. Uh, actually, uh, it actually goes back a little bit further, Angie. In 1989, the Treasure Valley was identified as having a particularly high level of nitrates in the groundwater. And uh, Clinchock, as you'd mentioned before, had uh, stepped back and said, where, where is this nitrogen coming from and is there anything that we can do to uh, remedy this issue? And he soon discovered that in particular onions, uh, they used a lot of nitrogen and with, in combination with furrow irrigation, they were pushing a lot of nitrogen from that crop into the groundwater. So Clint then stepped back and said, okay, well, how can we reduce the amount of water going into the system? And that led him to drip irrigation. At that point, I magically arrived on the scene in 2000. Perfect timing. It worked out. <laughs> and uh, between the two of us as a team, we have managed to be able to uh, move uh, the onion crop to over 80% of the crop is now drip irrigated. Wow. We have reduced the amount of nitrates that we use on the crop. Um, Clint studies say that they need 100 units of nitrogen and uh, we are now delivering around 110 units of nitrogen to grow the crops. So that actually technically is a over amount but the growers are a little bit more conservative. But when you give it the perspective that they came from 300 units of nitrogen earlier that we have made vast inroads into the reduction of nitrates within our groundwater and without any regulation. This was all done on a voluntary basis. When we were faced with regular regulation people from the state coming in and almost on the verge of mandating uh, regulations and they stepped, the growers stepped up the plate and said we will, we will voluntarily institute practices, particularly drip irrigation, to minimize that and to date 
now more than 20 years later that has been very successful. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's always a great win-win story when you can solve a problem without forcing somebody to do it. Totally yeah, we need the government. I mean, we need some rules and regulations and, yes, you know, give, give us some guidance because sometimes mm. people will, uh, you give them an inch and they'll take a yard. <laughs> but it is always so. nice to see the growers step up and do it on their own. Yes. Yeah, for mm. sure. Uh, the, the one key on that, though, is that the technology that has to be introduced has to have a good return on investment. Uh, maybe not immediately, but they need to be seeing a profit incentive there right. and that's been a yeah they're business issue. people yeah right. they have to stay <clears throat> have in to thrive and this is a, a shout out to you. you you know we manufacturers can do all sorts of tricks and have magic uh, in our products but we need people like you the practitioners in the field who buy the product package it appropriately for the grower for it to be successful mm -hmm. you don't just design the system sell it install it and run you um, stay and help, and that's why you get the award. <laughs> yeah, we do, we do a lot of service things. Uh, we have a, an extensive training system for our growers and for uh, their on-farm laborers. Uh, we provide guidance on irrigation scheduling, uh, agronomic advisement as far as fertilizer applications. Uh, me, since I have a background in pesticide research, I've cooperated with various uh, pesticide manufacturers to get uh, insecticides and fungicides and herbicides registered through drip irrigation that will directly be applicable to our pests and problems within the Treasure Valley. So it's, it's a fast community effort, if yeah. you may. Yeah, I bet a lot of people, you know, in our listening audience probably don't know all the intricacies and all the technology and science behind growing crops and plants which is our food supply oh yes rob and i like to eat three times a week so uh, we're well, happy that those farmers are a little more than you <laughs> <laughs> we're happy that our growers are growing food so agronomic tell us uh, in layman's terms what in the heck does agronomic mean well, agronomics is basically the science of growing the crop it includes cultural practices such as how you till the ground to prepare it or not till the ground to prepare uh, to prepare for seeding, as the case may be. Uh, there's uh, agronomics includes the aspect of crop selection and seed propagation. It includes the aspect of, uh, of pest control that you have involved. It also involves uh, irrigation um, and then following it all the way through into harvest and uh, right into storage. So there's a number of aspects that agronomics or agri agronomy covers is a very large blanket. Yeah. So on the, on the storage part, um, I, I, I used to be in the, a different business uh, with the Emerson Company. We did what was called modified atmosphere packaging. Yes. Where they have a lot of people that had uh, different crops that they would store like bananas or, or fruits or vegetables and they would go in these big rooms that were sealed and then they put modified gas into it. Just like when you buy potato chips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, people think they just put air in it, but they don't. It's, it's a mixture of yeah. stuff to, to mm -hmm. make it last longer. Hey, uh, there's a marketing idea. We can put laughing gas inside, oh. <laughs> you know, some potato chips. and yeah, yeah. That would make a lot more fun. We can call them happy doodles. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Well, Jim, you tell a wonderful story about um, your work ethic. And I, I've worked with you for years, and it's been an honor and a pleasure to do so. And I know that you have an incredible work ethic, which is another reason why you got this award. So tell us a little bit about where you got your work ethic. Um, 
It's always the mom. No, <laughs> no, no. This is actually this, this one. Case, this one's the, the pop. Yeah, oh, okay. it's the dad. Yeah. Uh, you you got to think back when. You and there's were, a little red tractor involved. Uh, no, no. This one's green. Oh, a green this tractor. This one's green. Okay, all right. Um, when I was uh, 11, 12 years old, I really don't know specifically, the, the big goal for me was being able to drive the tractor. I mean, that was, I was raised on a ranch, and uh, the opportunity to do that was a real driver for me, and I spent a couple of weeks being really good, did all my chores on time, and I did my homework and did everything that I needed to do. And, Tall order. Yeah, and, and trying to build up and, and grease, grease the wheels for this. Yes, grooming, that's a good word. And... Uh, uh, so the day came, I finally got my dad to uh, spend some particular time teaching me how to run the mower and, r and run the tractor. So we spent all morning him checking me out and all. And we came in at lunch and I was pretty excited. And when we came out of the house, he said, okay, now, Jim, I want you to go out and I want you to mow. He said, I want you to do, and what I want you to do is to mow till dark and then turn the lights on and do two more rounds. And what I have taken on a personal level is that's my mantra. I do what's expected of me. I work till dark, and then I turn the lights on, do two more rounds. And that's what I have done to uh, excel in my vocation, is do what was expected and then do somewhat more so that I could be a little bit ahead of the game. That's and, awesome. Yeah. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And today he, he, he really um, gave some thanks and appreciation to uh, a few special people that helped him get there. And one of them was his wife, who, of course, Lynn was closing down the kitchen usually at a normal time. And Jim, uh, did she feed you late? Oh, yes. Yeah, every time. Yeah. And she would joke and tease me and tell me at 8 o'clock kitchen's closed. But when I'd get in at 10 or 11, she was there. Yeah. And I, I have to count on her. She is How tremendous. How many years? Oh, gee, we've been married 26 years now. Oh, so. congratulations. <laughs> well, yes. I know that you've um, recently decided to slow down a bit, at least from um, the work front, and uh, retire and pursue some maybe some consulting and maybe some fun stuff. So what's next for Jim? Um, I've actually have started down the consulting road uh, recently. Uh, I've initiated uh, contacts and actually made a trip to Europe to uh, look at the possibility of introduction of drip irrigation on uh, onions in Europe and uh, other aspects. Uh, I am talking with the local community college about uh, rejuvenating their agronomy curricula. Oh. And uh, the, the local community college is rightly focused on livestock, which is a component of our area but uh, they've sort of neglected the cropping side and I think it's time that we initiated and myself and a number of industry uh, people from the onion industry want to start really ramping up that curriculum and I want to be involved in that. That doesn't sound a whole lot like retirement uh, to me, and that's what people are saying to me too. You it's, know. Fun. it's fun for you. It, it's a rumor for me. <laughs> no, I think I think you will be able to slow down and uh, turn the wrench a little more. I know mm -hmm. you're really passionate about uh, mechanics and yeah, my uh, antique trucks. Yeah, he does a lot of hiking and he's a he's a little bit of a rock hound. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, we wish you the, the best in um, your free time and, and also, I'm, I'm glad you're going to stay engaged because you oh, have yes. so much knowledge. Take it to Europe. Why not? Yeah. You know, might as I well. I think it'd be good. It'd be good for the world. Anything else you want to add before we sign off? No, I believe we've got it covered. I appreciate the opportunity to be here and 
continue to work with Toro. All and, right. And we thank your contribution to the industry. Thank, thank you. you very much, sir. Thank you. All right. Well, that's it from the Water Zone from the IA Show 2018. Right. Thank you, Jim. Thank you. This just in from the Arizona Daily Star. Snowpack in trouble across the West and around the globe, researchers say. From the Colorado Rockies to the Tibet Plateau to the Greenland Sea, snowpack that provides billions of people with drinking water is suffering long-term declines. Inge, do you know about that? Yes. Um, I was just reading about that. Um, that report came out from a couple of U of A, University of Arizona scientists. You know, things that we've been hearing about and talking about, um, you know, for a number of years now, but, you know, some people are kind of on the fence or there's some naysayers and speculators, but, you know, it seems like every week or at least every month there are major, major new reports coming out from the science community that, you know, what we're already feeling and seeing, but, you know, they've got scientific evidence that, yeah, the snowpack has declined by, you know, 41% since 1982. And as we were just discussing in the beginning of our show, I mean, the snowpack and the groundwater, that is the world's water supply. we got to save it. That's the freshwater supply that humans and animals and farmers and everybody uses to live. And And no water, no life. And with more people and more animals, we got to really watch what we use. Yeah. Seriously. No, it's tough. The weather is changing. Uh, it, that's changing water conditions and the conditions in which we live. Here is yet another, I think there were four reports, four scientific reports uh, coming out that uh, validate that and prove it, basically. Yeah. You know, with all of that and the things that you and I have talked about uh, at the IA show, we talked about contaminated water and nitrates in the water and all those things. I mean, it's, it's you know, people got to stop and think about all this because it's, it's not going to be that you go to your sink and turn the faucet on. Yeah. Someday yeah. It, it, well, might, it might not happen. Yeah, we need to um, uh, heed the call to action, such as our previous uh, guest, uh, Julian Cribb from Australia, who wrote the book Surviving the 21st Century. Remember, he went over the yep. 10 existential threats to humanity. You know, that sounds like a doomsday report, but it wasn't. It was uplifting. It was like, there, we have all these problems. The weather's changing. There's too many people on the planet and all these things. But we can change, and we consciously do some things differently, like think about our water use and be live a more sustainable life and, you know, vote with our dollar every day in the right direction, you know, there, we can definitely overcome these issues. Yeah, no, I think with a lot of the guests that we had on, there's, uh, you know, not only today, but in the whole history of our show, uh, a, lot of, a lot of smart people, a lot of, a lot of things can happen. Uh, they just, uh, it's just going to take time. So. Yep, keep it, mo- keep it moving forward. That's what we need to do. Absolutely. So, 